Um, this one's not scripted, but um, I've been able to ask you guys certain trivia questions. We've had fun with that when I've been able to speak. So this one is to test your music knowledge, and it was about a song that we did tonight, Oh How He Loves. It was the second song that we did. There's a lyric in that song that says, Heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss, which is an interesting lyric. That's not the original lyric for that song. The writer, Jeff, John Michael, do you remember his name? Does he have a three names? He's an interesting fellow. Um, but he wrote this song, solo um, collaboration. And so, heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss is not the original lyric. Does anyone know the original lyric? Oh, there we go. And Neil had his hand up. Have, the original lyric is, heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. It Really? <laughs> you know, if nothing else tonight, that's what you take away from Wednesday. And I learned about sloppy wet kiss in this lyric. So, he, well, he, he received a little bit of um, instruction and maybe wisdom that that wouldn't be great for corporate worship, that people might not like that. So, they got that switch to unforeseen kiss. That's better. It's fine. It gives a good picture of the love that the Lord has for us. Um, tonight, wow, I'm going to... Maybe introduce a character to you guys of the Bible, and maybe not. Maybe you've heard of this character before. Her name is Rahab. Rahab is not one that you hear, you know, Pastor, I don't know of the thousands of sermons that you've been able to preach and deliver. Rahab's probably not like, you know, Moses, David, Abraham, Paul. Rahab, you know, she falls maybe second tier or third tier, but I'd like to talk a little bit about Rahab tonight. And so you guys, please, as you always do, just bear with me. I'm going to read some scripture that's going to kind of paint the picture as we prepare to talk about Rahab. And so the scripture will be available to you guys. Um, I love a good story. I really love a good Bible story. Pastor came in yesterday, he told me, he said, I've been reading Saul and David, and immediately I just perked up in my chair. I'm like, oh yes, let's talk about Saul and David. Great uh, stories. Some of them are just more intense and graphic than what we might think. And so I encourage you to read your Bible and to know your Bible. Um, but we're going to be in Joshua chapter 2, <clears throat> and I'm going to read a few verses today, this evening, I'm sorry, uh, in Joshua 2, and then I'm going to bump over and hit Joshua chapter 6. So in Joshua 2, I'm going to read verse 1. It says, And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go and view the land, especially Jericho. And when they came into the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, they lodged there. I'm reading, by the way, out of the ESV version, English Standard uh, Version. Verse 9. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction, verse 11. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted 
there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She's going to preach a little bit. She's, she's getting excited. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, he, she hid the two spies so they would not be killed. Please swear as the Lord, as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign, verse 13, that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Verse 18, Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window. You shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if any goes out of the doors of the house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head. And, when we, shall, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. And now we've we fast forward to chapter 6, and we see that when the Israelites were able to conquer the land of Jericho, hopefully this story is familiar to you, they had to march around the city, and they had to do certain things each day for seven days, and on the seventh day they marched around seven times, and on the seventh time they blew the trumpet and, and they proclaimed that this was the time that the Lord was going to destroy the city and the walls of Jericho fell from the inside out. And so then they were able to go in and capture the city. So we fast forward, verse 16 of chapter 6. And at the seventh time when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all that who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. Verse 23. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought out all her relatives and put them outside of the camp of Israel. 25. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's Household and all that belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent out to spy Jericho. What an interesting story. And it caused me to begin to think about a conversation that took place between me and Matthew Snyder. He called me, oh five, six weeks ago. And it's not that uncommon. Matthew's out in Phoenix. He's doing good. It's good to hear from him. And he had, uh, he had a question and a thought, and he shared that with me, and I was able to talk with him. We just had a good time of conversation. But it caused me to start thinking about what he had said. I started chewing on this. And basically, his statement was this, and, and we're going to dive into it. So you guys, I appreciate your patience. He said, Brother John, does obedience lead to trust or does trust lead to obedience? Well, let's just chew on this a little bit. And so it, it really it caused me to start to think about it a little bit. And I wrote this down. I put trust leads to obedience. 
If you trust God, guess what you'll do? You'll, you'll be obedient. Okay, does that make sense? If you trust what God says, you'll be obedient. But how about this? It is also true that obedience can lead to trust. So I thought, well, how does this look? Let's, let's paint a picture. So I thought about my first memories in life. And I don't know what they are for you. I was like four, five. Those are kind of my first memories. I first really learned obedience before I knew what trust was, okay? Um, obedience was, I'm going for the stove, and it's on, and I'm four, because it's big and pretty, and I feel heat coming from it. And my mom says, no, and I look at her, and I go, she's way over on the other side of the kitchen. I'm going to keep going. And she comes a little closer and gets a little faster and says, no. My mind, you know, out of four or five, anything adolescent, you're just like, I can do this. I don't need to listen. Reaching for the stove, I'm going to burn my hand. She comes through and she whacks it. <laughs> she says, no, no, I told you. I learned obedience before I really knew the value of trust. I couldn't have said, well, I'm going to obey my mother and father because I trust them completely. I know that they know better than I, and so I'm going to listen to everything they say. That wasn't the case. I learned how to obey first. And so I thought, how does that look as far as Matthew's question, can obedience lead to trust? So I started looking in Scripture. I started thinking about a few things that might support obedience leading to trust when obedience comes first. And God took me over to the story of Peter when Peter was fishing. Peter was a professional fisherman. He knew a lot. He really knew more than any carpenter might ever know about fishing. And so when Jesus came to Peter and told him how to do his job, Peter wasn't just totally on board with this because he's a carpenter. And he might be who he says he is, but Peter didn't know that quite yet. And so Jesus said, hey, have you caught any fish? And Peter says, we have fished all night and we haven't caught anything. And Jesus said, why don't you cast your net on the other side? And the Bible says that Peter was a little bit obstinate and a little combative. And he didn't want to do it, but he made a famous statement. He said, we've toiled all night, haven't caught anything. I'm tired. I stink. I want to just call it. But he said, nevertheless, at your word, we'll do it. So I think if Peter were here and we could interview him, Peter would say, I didn't fully trust that this was going to work, okay? I didn't do it because when Jesus said to do it, I was like, okay then, great idea. I'm on board. Guys, let's toss the net on the other side. This is all going to work. Peter was as skeptical as they come. But Peter said, nevertheless, I don't trust you, but I'm going to obey you. And we'll see how it turns out. 
and we know how it turns out. They threw the net on the other side, and the nets began to break with so many fish. Peter was walking in obedience before he was walking in trust. I thought that was interesting. I looked at Abraham, one of, man, one of the most gripping accounts in the Bible. Read over in Genesis when God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Parents, can you even fathom how difficult, how challenging this might be? I'm not a mom, I'm, I'm a dad. So I look at it through dad eyes. But for God to tell me, take, I mean, I have four, but any, any one of them, take them to the mountain and sacrifice them to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean my ears out real thoroughly. Did I hear you right, God? Because this, is, this sounds a little out there. And I'm sure Abraham didn't get all excited the next day, the Bible says, when he got up early and took off. You know, the Bible doesn't even say that he told Sarah. We don't have an account of that. I don't think he told her. That's not recommended in proper parenting. Let me just throw that out. But Abraham knew that Sarah would say, you ain't taking my boy. That ain't happening. Abraham, I'm sure, dealt with an agony that I hope I never have to fathom. And they traveled for days till they came to the mountain. But you know that he did exactly what God told him to do. Down to the letter, and probably not knowing for sure how this was going to turn out. But he said, I obey you. I'm going to do it. Um, Thomas is one of the disciples. Thomas doesn't get a lot of praise. He doesn't get a lot of a chatter in churches. Thomas was known as, anybody know? Doubting Thomas. That's, that's a crazy nickname. I wouldn't want to be known as Doubting John. That doesn't roll very well. Thomas, in the midst of the disciples, was known as one who would question and throw a little doubt here and there. And at one time, when Jesus found out that Lazarus had died, he told the disciples, we're going to go to Bethany because Lazarus, Lazarus is sleeping. And they said, oh, great, if he's asleep, then he'll do well. And finally, Jesus just said, no, Lazarus has died, and we're going to go to Bethany. And you know the first person to say something was Thomas. You can uh, check it out in John chapter 11. And do you know what Thomas said when Jesus said, we're going to go to Bethany because Lazarus had died? Thomas said this, that's great. Let's all go to Bethany so we can die with him. Because he knew that Jesus was hunted and he was wanted. And he knew that he, being a disciple, would fall on the lines of the hunted and the wanted and so he's like, that's just great, Jesus. Good call. Let's go to Bethany so we can all die. Read it. But Thomas said, I'll go. And the other disciples said, we'll go. And Jesus said, then let's go. Thomas walked in obedience, but he didn't walk in any trust. Think about that. Rich Young, I have one more. Rich Young Ruler. I don't know if you guys know the account. He's only mentioned briefly in the Gospels. He's known as the Rich Young Ruler. And he came and he said, Good Master, referring, uh, 
coming to Jesus. Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked into his heart and kind of tested him at first and said, well, you know, you know, the, you know the law, you know the commandments. And the rich young ruler said, well, all these have I kept from my youth up. I'm perfect. And Jesus said, hmm, okay. The Bible says he looked deep in his heart and he said, you lack one thing, sell what you have. Give to the poor and come and follow me. And the Bible says the rich young ruler dropped his head, looked at Jesus, contemplated what Jesus asked of him, and he walked away. And he's never mentioned again in Scripture. He could have walked in obedience even though he didn't fully trust what Jesus was saying. He had that opportunity. And I totally believe that if he would have acted in obedience, that that would have led a different life for him. He would have been able to be on a track then where eventually he got to a point where he would trust Jesus. But in the initial meeting with Jesus, when Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. I need you to do this. He dropped his head and he walked away. How does this relate to some of the things in our life? I know that, you know, we're not um, Peter or Abraham or Thomas or the rich young ruler. But I don't know. Uh, Holly, I was talking to you, was it yesterday? And I asked if you were going to be in class. And you said, no, I'm going to be in the sanctuary. And do you remember what you said? You said, are, are you going to get us? Are you going gonna to get us? <laughs> I said, I hope to challenge you. My goal isn't to get you. But you'll think I'm lying as I go into this next little portion of my teaching. No, he's out to get us. But how does this relate to us, okay? How can obedience sometimes lead to trust? You don't have to fully trust to still be obedient. Come to church. I don't have to go to church. You're right, you don't. But what does God say about church? Well, Hebrews 10.25 says, Don't forsake the believers coming together in a gathering, in an assembly, and focusing on me. Don't forsake that. It means to do that. How about reading the Word? 1 Timothy 4.13 says, Paul's talking to Timothy and to us as believers. Give yourself to reading and to studying and to meditating and the things I want you to meditate on in verse 15, he says, meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them. What things? These things. The Word. I don't have to read my Bible. Nope, you don't. But the Bible says you do. He says you should. All right, this one's going to be, I need steel toes, boots on everybody. I don't have to give. I don't have to give. Okay. I mean, that's a good philosophy. What does Jesus say? Luke 6:38. Give and it shall be given unto you. He says give. I don't know how you retranslate that. He says to give. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7 says, God loves a cheerful giver. giver. Oh, this is all in the word. Matthew 6, 3, Jesus talking says, when you give. He doesn't say if. I missed it. it. It's not there. If if you decide to give, he says when you're giving, 
So he's just under the assumption you need to be giving. This is how you do it. Uh, Mike Murdoch is a preacher. Uh, my dad's listened to over the years. And uh, Mike Murdoch actually calls the church occasionally. He has a ministry. He'll call churches. This is Brother Mike Murdoch. Just want you to know, praying for your church, if there's anything we can do. It's a recording. But anyway, I get to hear him occasionally. He had a teaching years ago that I thought was hilarious. I want to share this with you uh, on the topic of giving. When I grew up in a Baptist church, um, we would always take up the tithe, kind of like we do, and we would pray over it. And one of the most popular prayers as one of the ushers or a deacon or an elder was asked to pray over the offering, a more famous prayer was this. God, bless those that give and those that don't. That's just, that's just, that, that's just how, and I was like, you know, that's one of those things. And Mike Murdoch was the same. He said, I grew up in a church, heard that my whole life. And he said, I got older, and I'm in the Word all the time. And he said, I realize that's the dumbest prayer I've ever heard. And, and it does, you know, it could come across kind of harsh, but he's like, why would God pour out all of his, you know, if you do this, you do this. If you plant the seed, it's going to grow. It's just this law. Why would, he, why would he say, but that doesn't apply for everyone. That's, you don't have to give. If people had the mentality of you don't have to give, none of us would be here tonight. Wouldn't be here. This stuff isn't free. <laughs> our, our availability to come and and be under the word and to sing like we do and to put forth things. You know, I mean, the, the church is in, we're in outreaches. Uh, last time I checked, it was like 12 missionaries that the church is supporting. The church is you, okay? But if you're not supporting the church, then the church doesn't have the money to support the missionaries. That's how that works. We try to put stuff out on social media that gets people that are not involved in the church, maybe an opportunity to hear the word. I mean, those things just don't happen. You need equipment to do that. You need manpower to do that. I'm not saying I don't want God to bless people, but I want him to be true to his word. And he says, give and it shall be given unto you. He doesn't say, don't give, but it'll, it'll be given unto you. Where's tithers rights in that? You know, I want to know that I got my feet under God's table. Robert Morris, maybe some of you know him, great preacher and uh, pastor of a church. He's preaching, and his daughter came up to him before one of the services and said, Dad, I want you to meet such and such. And it was a fella. And he was like, oh, it's nice to meet you. We're going to call him, you know, David. Hey, David, it's nice to meet you, and you know my daughter, and uh, glad you're here. And uh, David became part of their church, and he was there, you know, frequently and, uh, and doing, uh, just being available. And, and he... Robert saw the relationship begin to strengthen between his daughter and David, began to grow. And so he went in to the office, to the office administrator, and said, I need you to pull up some tithing records. Yes, sir. I want you to look up David. And the reason he did it, his, he told his daughter. And she said, Dad, I knew you would. And he said, if a man, I want to get this right, if a man cannot prioritize his money in his relationship with God, 
he will not be able to prioritize his money in relationship with my daughter. So why, why would I give my blessing over something like that? I want to know where his heart is. We've talked about it, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I have a wonderful quote from uh, someone that I look up to. His quote is this, you do not have to walk in obedience only if you want to be blessed. Pastor Ron made that statement a few months ago, and I wrote that down. You don't have to walk in obedience, but only if you want to be blessed. And so therefore, if you guys know our church's website, do the word.com. It's the greatest advice ever. Just do the word. I'm struggling with this. Oh, just do the word. I don't know what to do in this situation. Do the word. It's just the ultimate advice. God gave us everything that we need. So trusting alone doesn't, doesn't yield the full benefits and blessing. And let me give you an example. I can trust that I'm married. Ask me, are you married? Yep. I can fully trust that I'm married. And I can live like I'm not. You tell me, how's that marriage going to do? It'll die. It'll die. See, I have to hang the scarlet cord up. I have to walk the walk. I can't just talk the talk. You married? Yep. And you see me out doing things that married guys shouldn't be doing. It won't fly. So I want to take you over now um, to James. If I can find James. I was in prayer and I was writing some of this stuff down. And I said, God, I need to know where this verse is. And I found it. And, and the verse is... Uh, the first verse I'm going to read, James 1.17. So also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. James is a straight shooter. And I know Pastor covered James a few months back. What a great little book, you know. But, but James doesn't beat around the bush. <laughs> James is pretty black and white. Uh, he kind of says it how it is. I said, God, thank you for that. And I promise you, I'm writing this down. And God goes, don't stop there. Keep reading. I said, okay. So I'm going to read it to you. Verse 18, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. Great, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So the trust thing, the demons trust, they fully know who God is. doesn't matter. They're not walking it. Even the demons believe, but it doesn't help them. Verse 20, do you want to be shown, foolish person? Man, James calling people out. Faith apart from works is useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled says, saying Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see, in verse 24, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. I just got to stop here real quick for those of you who don't know. James isn't talking about salvation works. He's talking about fruitful works, okay? Paul talks about uh, you're justified by faith alone. He means that for salvation. James is talking about if you want to be a Christian, 
a Christ follower, this is what you need to do. You can't just say, well, I, I just believe. I just have faith. I just know. That's not enough. You got to put your money where your mouth is. This is what God said to, for me to keep reading because I'm talking to you guys about Rahab tonight. In the same way, verse 25, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. I was like, oh my God, I, I literally LOL'd. And it was just me and God in there. But I'm like, this is hilarious because I'm talking about Rahab. And so this is why God wanted me to keep reading. It's kind of like the Holy Spirit if you look at the Holy Spirit as being your personal trainer, you know, like you go into the gym and you have somebody in there that's going to watch out for you and tell you the machines to do and the exercises and, and let you know, hey, have you been, you know, doing this and doing this and doing this? And personal trainer. The Holy Spirit's our personal trainer. The Holy Spirit's saying, watch out for sugar. <laughs> Not good for you. Watch out for those calories. Too many calories. Jenny and I watch a show that's, I don't know if you guys ever watched it. My 600 pound life. Those are fascinating. Um, doctor now will say, you're probably having 6,000 calories a day. <laughs> that's a lot of calories. Watch out for the calories. Watch out for saturated fat, high cholesterol foods. Personal trainer says, watch out. You need to have proper exercise, proper sleep. How important is proper sleep, Pastor? <laughs> huge. It's very vital to, to our makeup. Watch out. Drugs are bad for you. Alcohol is not good for you. These things will not yield the benefit of blessings of a healthy lifestyle. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying to us on a personal level. We know this on a physical level. Guys, you don't have to convince me. I totally trust when the trainers say you can't have 6,000 calories a day. I totally trust them. That's correct. They say you can't have, sorry Neil, multiple Mountain Dews a day. You can't do it if you want the benefits. I fully trust. My problem isn't in trust, it's in obedience. That's, that's where I struggle. And, and so the Holy Spirit is telling us these, these are important things that you need to do. And trusting alone isn't going to do it. You actually got to do it. You, you got to go to the gym. So Rahab's obedience, I'm sorry, her belief led to her obedience. And uh, I don't know what you know about Rahab, but I got some really crazy historical news for you about Rahab, okay? She's a prostitute in Jericho. She's not an Israelite. She's a Gentile. She is a very sinful woman living a sinful lifestyle in a very sinful city. And she said, I know what God's doing, and I know that you, you guys can, can deliver me from what's going on here, and I want to be involved in your ministry, not what's going on here in Jericho. And they said, hang a scarlet cord in your window, and when we come to destroy the city, we will know that's your house and we'll save it. And so they did. They saved her. We read that. And they brought her and her mom and dad and her brothers and sisters and everyone in their house, in her house, out, and they became part of Israel's camp. Now look at this. Rahab's belief in what was going on led to her obedience. What if she totally believed all that was going on? She said, God's handed the city over to you and we're all scared to death. 
She fully trusted, but what if she didn't hang the scarlet cord in the window? She wouldn't have been saved. She's fully trusting in everything that's going on. She had a part to play. They said, this is what you got to do. And so this is what she did. Now get this, they saved her and her family and brought her out. Her obedience led to a brand new life for Rahab. I have Matthew 1.5 that I'd love to pull up and share this with you guys. If that's available. This is the genealogy of Jesus. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. Are you kidding me? A prostitute from Jericho has been taken, and she has been established in the genealogy of Jesus. Her story is definitely a rags-to-riches story. It's a sin-to-salvation story. It's a hopeless-to-hopeful story. It's from prostitution to purpose. And it's from alienation to adoption. Oh my gosh. Rahab found a new life outside of Jericho. And she met Salmon. And he fell in love with her, and they got married, and they had a boy, and his name was Boaz. Here's what happened. God looked down the annals of time and said, my son is going to have a bloodline, and I'm going to take a prostitute from Jericho and put her in the genealogy of Jesus. Chills. If God can do that with Rahab, what can he do with us? Because the, the statement is, God can never use me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what has happened to me. That's the story that people say. I can't go to church. God, I've done too much. I've been too many places. I've lived a life that is not worthy of the love of God. And if you hear that, or that's, that's you, if God can do it to Rahab, he can do it to us. He can take us from sin to salvation, from alienation to adoption. Great song written in 1887. I have it here. John Samus and Daniel Towner got together in 1887 and wrote these words. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. 
Not a doubt or a fear, not a sigh or a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil he doth richly repay. Not a grief or a loss, not a frown or a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows, for the joy he bestows, are for them who will trust and obey. Last verse, then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. And the chorus is pretty famous. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Uh, I don't know that much about John Brevere. Um, I had asked Pastor a little bit about him. Just reading a few of, of the things that he puts out. And he was, he was talking about this in the statement. He said, back in the 50s and 60s, we were under legalism. And he said, in this generation, we're under lawlessness. Talking about a balance. <laughs> and he said this, the love of God keeps us from legalism, but the fear of God keeps us from lawlessness. He goes on to say, fear of God isn't being scared of him. It's being terrified at the thought of living without him. Charles Johnson wrote a song they made famous in the gospel music section. And he said, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. Down on my knees is where I learn to stand because I can't even walk without you holding my hand. So I say to Matthew Snyder, thank you so much for the challenging word. It's caused a lot of thought in my mind. Obedience and trust, I think they go hand in hand. I think that if you trust something, you're going to obey it or him the word, but obedience also comes because you have trust. So I hope by looking at Rahab tonight that you are challenged and, and encouraged. May do the word always be on your mind in anything in life. God, thank you for tonight. God, your word is true as I, in my mind, see pastor holding up the Bible and saying this is the only truth. God, we're going to stand on your word. We're going to realize that what you say is true. God, we don't just want to talk the talk. We want to walk the walk. And we want to do it, God, because the Holy Spirit is strengthening us as a good leader and guide and trainer does. Help us as Rahab to hang the scarlet cord in our lives and let people see that because of the blood of Jesus that we don't have to live how the world lives. We can be victorious and we can walk in your love and your joy and your goodness. And God, we just 
Thank you for the great things you're doing in our lives, how you love us. We'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. You are dismissed.